Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn and this show is Fish Out of Baba with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018. It's a whole new year and we have a whole new show for you today. Well, we have the second part of our very special holiday episode with uh, no holiday music. Like this song, one of my favorites from Talking Heads and their Stop Making Sense album live in 1984.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Same as it ever was, same as it ever was. Time isn't holding us, time isn't after us. Yeah, time is eternal. Sometimes, you know, especially around the start of a new year, you think, well, what is holding us? What is holding us from doing the things that we want to do or need to do? What is it that holds us? as we let our days go by. We will get back to that existential woohoo question a little later in the show, but right now we're going to continue with the Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo, very special holiday special with no holiday music. That was um, a live story show with five of um, performers that have been interviewed over the past year. And this show, happened on uh, Monday, November 20th, 2017. So now, Radio Free Brooklyn presents Fish Out of Agua, the story show. Which means it's now time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. She sold her fridge a couple of weeks ago. 
um, and she's hell-bent on this, um, this version of waste not, want not that like can only happen from someone who grew up in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, which coincidentally my grandmother did. Um, so this maybe strikes some fear into my heart because I, my, my aunt and uncle rented a car when they came. I have not, so I am at Betty Lou's mercy. Um, she is the world's worst cook under the best of circumstances, and she has a cupboard full of dented, unlabeled poison that she would like to really get rid of before uh, before this week is up and she has to move out. So we have a great 48 hours of overlap with my, uh, my aunt and uncle. It is awesome. Um, my grandmother just kind of like stands off to the side mostly, like looking disapproving about like us enjoying each other. Um, my grandmother, She's kind of a fascinating person. So she she's a Unitarian, but she's the kind of Unitarian who used to be, who was raised a really strict Southern Baptist. Um, and the, the family kind of summary of her is that she raised her children to be like really tolerant and inclusive of everyone, but she forgot to tell them that she didn't mean it. Um, <laughs> so when she ended up with zero white Christian grandchildren, she was really, really pissed. Um, there was another family joke for a while about like, you know, so it was my father's the oldest and he married a Jewish woman and then my uncle Bob married a woman from Taiwan and then my aunt Nikki is black and it was like, well, there's nothing left for the grandchildren to do to dis that she can possibly, transsexualism, that is what was left, <laughs> check. Um, so, Betty Lou. Uh, so she kind of like stands off to the side looking disapproving for a while like my uncle throws a party and like a bunch of you know His old friends come and it's awesome and then they leave and I'm still there for another three days. So day one Leftover Thai food and beer from the party day two beer That is the only thing left that I'm willing to eat in the house day three I find some crackers I've still been hiding some beer. Um, and she keeps on trying, like, she understands that, like, I have a human need for sustenance, but, like, not, like, that botulism is real. So, you know, she's got, like, these cans, like, these cans have not had labels on them since, like, really, like, since the 80s in many cases. I'm not going for it. Um, she, at one point, she like, there's some leftover pimento cheese from the party, this is two days later. Um, she puts it in the toaster oven and like it separates out. Okay, I am a Jew from New York. Pimento cheese is not in my food vocabulary even when it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm told that it's an acceptable food under some circumstances, but this is like two days old and in the toaster oven. So it separates out, it's like cheese whiz and mayonnaise and like, like the pimento, I don't know. Um, on a, a piece of bread, and she brings it to me, and I just can't. I can't. I'm like, I can tell that she, like, that this is her version of trying to be, like, hospitable. Like, she's not trying to kill me. She's really actually not. Like, this is actually her trying to be welcoming and generous, and she's actually, like, been having a really hard time with, like, how closed off I am from her. So she's prepared this lovely, poisonous, horrible, oozing meal for me, and I just, I can't do it. 
Um, I, I just, I can't do it. I like make an excuse and I go off and I like wait long enough that like I think I can throw it out underneath some things so she doesn't realize that's what I've done. Um, but that was when I realized what a hard time she was actually having with this whole thing. Like I was so focused on self-preservation that I hadn't really noticed that, you know, even though she's like a person who is really good at pretending not to have any feelings, of course she was having feelings about moving out of the house that she'd lived in since 1974, that she lived in with her husband, where she raised her kids, where her husband died. Of course. And then I realized that we haven't seen Jack all week and that she's been making excuses about that too. So Jack is her permanent fiance, who she's been dating for like the past 10 years but won't marry because then she'd lose my grandfather's social security benefits. Um, Jack is awesome. Jack is kick-ass. The first time we met Jack, he, uh, my, my New York Jewish family came and visited and he like uh, tracked down, he went to like six grocery stores, he decided that he was going to feed us the food of our people and he tracked down locks in Northwest Arkansas. I don't know how. I, I can only imagine the looks that he got at like the first six grocery stores that he tried, but he found it somehow. Jack is awesome. And he was like supposed to be the other silver lining of this trip, but Betty Lou's been kind of blowing me off on like, oh, like he's not coming over. He hates like all the dust from the packing. Um, of course, what she hasn't been telling me is that uh, Jack is really not all there anymore. And Jack has dementia to a point where um, their relationship has gotten to the point where she's mostly taking care of him. Um, and she's having a really hard time with that because she's not very good at taking care of people. So I finally get her to take me to visit Jack. Um, partially because I know that if we leave the house, there will be food wherever Jack lives. Um, there has to be, and there is. There are um, Lenders bagels that are frozen in the freezer, and I eat those, and it's the first food I have in three days that's not pimento cheese or beer, and it's awesome. Um, and I talk to Jack, and Jack is lucid enough to tell me how to make a really good pie crust. And my grandmother is present enough in this conversation to seem, to give me a glimpse of like what I think she would have been like if she had been able to live a life closer to what she always wanted. If she maybe hadn't had to have kids, if she maybe hadn't had to, uh, you know, have parents who gave her to her grandparents to raise when, you know, in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma during the Depression. Um, and we get back to the, the house and she starts telling me all these stories about like all the shit that she's been like reluctant to get rid of and why. Um, and then she's done and we like sell it all off at the yard sale and it's awesome and now it's all in boxes or gone. And I get to leave and I have not been poisoned with any botulism um, to the best of my knowledge to this day. Um, and the pantry I have, I've over the course of this period of time been managing to like throw out cans like underneath things secretly so she thinks that she's actually managed to eat through her entire storehouse of dented cans from 1974. Um, and the best part about where she moved to is that it only has like one cabinet and no kitchen. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.
Elana is busy We're when busy. he's not uh, dodging dodgy food. <laughs> he is the co-host and co-producer of a fantastic storytelling show called Take Two, which is on, on a simple premise. It's like fucking genius. It's like you tell it, the person tells the story the way it went and then you do the ending the way it should have gone. Or you could, or you say the way the ending should have gone and then you tell the truth. Yeah, it's or, like, or the way that you're really glad it didn't yeah, go. Or the way you're way. really glad yeah, it didn't go. It's an amazing, full disclosure, I've been on it. It's an amazing show. Awesome. He, he does it with uh, Harvey Katz, another amazing host. And it's at, um, yep. I don't know if you guys know this venue. It's called Come On Everybody in Bed-Stuy. It's a, it's a hidden gem. Like, this is a hidden yeah, gem here yeah. in, in, in Ridgewick or Bushwood. No, I know, it's in Ridgewood. But, like, it's in bed Where is it in bed uh, It's, like, off the C-train, right? Yeah. It's by Bedford Nostrand on the G. Yeah, oh, great. Okay, good. Close enough. Have a yeah. seat, Alana. Yay! So, um, Alana was on episode 7 of season, well, there's no more seasons, but, like, the, the, the past of uh, Fish Out of Agua. I'm sorry, I have to say this again, it was the special bonus material episode because yes, yes. It, we just kept going on tangent upon tangent and it was, it was a great time. It was, I had an awesome We time. talked all, about fun. all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. We, we discovered we have a mutual like of prog rock. We do. King yes. Crimson. Yes. You know, yes, one yes. more red nightmare. <laughs> I, I love that shit. I mean, I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. I know. Well, well you, there's worse things to be stuck in your head. That's true. And I, I, I won't say any of them. So, um, tell us uh, to people that are listening on the radio and here, what would you say, Elena, would be the tipping point that made you decide to make your artistic expression as, as a storyteller? Um, let's see. Because you didn't so, start out as a performer. No. A, lo a lot of a lot of people that are storytellers start out they want to be an actor, they yeah. want to be a this or a that. But I know that you came from a different background. Yeah, and you no, can, you can I, briefly well, expound upon that. Right, I came from like having the world's worst stage fright ever. Like I used to cry every time like I had to talk in front, like just just as a physical reaction, just like leaking <laughs> from my eyes. Um, I don't do that anymore, which is awesome. Um, so it was, I was working as a health educator at a fertility clinic and there was a storytelling show that had a reproduction theme and I had a story about that. So that was, uh, it's like, I can do that. That was, and then, that was the, rest was, and then the rest was history. Um, no. And then I like, I didn't do it again for three years. So <laughs> it's so um, often like that, of isn't now, it? Right? Like, uh, the so. good thing happens that maybe you're scared of it or maybe you're like, I can't do it. And then you realize later yeah. you can. And then you do. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Well, I was like, I have one story. And then I was like, mm, maybe, maybe some more. Maybe, maybe more than that. I think you got a bunch of stories in you. I can't wait to hear what you come up with next. So, Elena, um, what would you, uh, you know, I'm going to be asking everybody this. What do you tell the child that wants to that people are saying you can't? What do you tell that child? No matter what it is. Yeah, well, I feel like if uh, if people are telling you you can't, that's a really good sign that you have to. Uh, that that we haven't heard that yet, right? So if people are if people are telling you you can't, and if you haven't seen like that role model of of what it would look like if you could, then that's a really strong sign that you absolutely have to. We have to hear what you have to say. Words of wisdom from Alana Lancaster. Thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua. Hold on
We are back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That song was handpicked by Elana for this episode, for his actually his interview episode, which was um, episode seven of part two of Fish Out of Agua. And don't forget that all the past episodes, the big interviews with every single storyteller you were hearing today or last week are available for download and listening on Podomatic and the Podomatic mobile app. Oh, let me get back to that song. Ah, that was um, Always by Erasure from their I Say, I Say, I Say album in 1994. 
And now, let's get back to some more Fish Out of Agua Radio Free Brooklyn presents at the Footlight Bar, our special holiday episode with no holiday music whatsoever. Woohoo! Please welcome to the stage! Oh my god, home skillet! When I first saw this man, I was like, no, yo, we gotta be friends! I was like, we need to have your stories. He just like, he is like the time release capsule. There used to be this, this cold medicine when I was a kid. I'm like a little old. I, it had like, I think it was Dristan or something with the tiny time capsules that were time release. Like he had the time release laugh. Like you die laughing. Like you literally die laughing. Like he tells shit that brings tears to my mouth. All right? Please welcome. Ah, oh, the best of East New York here in Ridgewood Bushwood. Gaston Amante. I had to get Latin for you, I'm sorry. Oh, Kiss yes. on the air, uh-uh. Oh, it was cheek, it was cheek. Uh, don't get me in trouble. No, don't get me in trouble. Bye. I got a man too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I get started, when I first started prepping this story, uh, my kids were in the apartment. Normally, they get to step out the house. The story involves sex. So I had to use a code word for sex the whole time I was practicing this story, so bear with me. So, me and Claudia were about to play a game of checkers. <laughs> we were in her dad's room, about to get down, you know. Lights is off, a little messy in the room. It's gonna be a great time. I fell in love with Claudia, because she was the cashier at the local VIM, you know, on Nickabaca. There you go, somebody else shops there besides me. It's all good. I fell in love with her because when I got to the counter, she pulled me in. She's like, yo, don't buy these. When it rains, the jeans are going to bleed and mess up your Tim's. And I was like, yo, you just saved me $120. $100 on boots and $20 on these three pair of jeans. I need you in my life. You know? So I pursued her in several trips to Crown Fried Chicken later. Me here and there in her dad's room. About to play checkers. Great times. You know? I was excited. Earlier that summer, I had broken my arm. And I pride myself on being a suave, chubby dude. I didn't realize how often you use your arms when you play checkers. Like, even when you play checkers by yourself, you want the options. Versatility, things you can do. 15 minutes later, I get the shirt off. Checkers is about to go down. As soon as the mood's straight, you know, we're about to get started. Claudia's sister starts banging on the door. Claudia, Claudia, you gotta get him out of here. Dad's home, dad's home. Oh, shit. We looking around, scrambling, trying to clean up. The lights are off. We hear him in the living room. She looks at me. She's like, yo, you gotta jump out the window. And I don't know if y'all see me. I'm a big dude. I don't float. I don't do heights, it's not my gift in life. You know, it's a 15 foot drop, I'm looking at hell like she crazy. But it's a railroad apartment in East New York, so I don't really got options here. You know? Now thankfully the, the barred up window, the window adjacent to it had an AC unit with the bars going around it, so I decided to stand on top of that. So I climb out the window, I stand on top of the AC unit as soon as the dad walks in, doesn't see me. So he starts piecing it together. He's looking around. He's like, yo, why is it messy in here? Why are the lights off and the windows open? And Claudia starts bullshitting him while he's walking towards the window. And she's like, oh, you know, I was trying to get the laundry done. It got hot in here, so I opened up the window. 
you know, and he, he turns to look at her to assess if it's true or not while he closes the gate. Doesn't see me standing on the AC. I'm safe. Feeling confident. Then two cops walk by the side of the building. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of this troubles with cops in neighborhoods like mine. You know, it's a little different. Yeah, uh, it's okay, it's okay, we're getting, by. we're getting better. The problem is, see cops make great suggestions, right? I listen to them all the time. Stop, slow down, put your hands up, freeze. Great advice, right? The reason I listen to them is because in general, when they tell me these things, it's because they know more about the situation than I do. The problem with cops in my neighborhood is that I've noticed that they don't want to accept that on occasion, I might know more about the situation than they do. So for example, when you see me standing on the AC unit in East New York, Brooklyn, not everything's always wrong. And the guy yells out, excuse me, sir. I'm trying to calculate in my head. How do I explain to this cop, yo, my man, I'm trying to play checkers with this girl. I'm 18, she's 18, completely legal. Her dad just got home, he's not gonna care. He's gonna try to kill me, then I actually need you. How can we avoid all this? So I came up with this, is what I said. Yo, chill. <laughs> it's never a good idea when you gotta whisper and scream at the same time, you know? <laughs> so he's like, what was that, sir? I'm like, yo, chill. You know, thankfully he had a younger partner, so like he like taps him, goes around the gate, and he comes up to talk to me by the window. He's like, what's going on? It's like, yo, my man, I'm trying to play checkers with this girl. <laughs> Her dad just got home. Once he leaves, everything's cool. He gives me a pound. Walks around the gate, tells his partner, they laugh and leave. I'm two for two. <laughs> I feel like a champion right now. I'm as confident as you could be standing on the East New York AC unit. Then Claudia runs to the window. She's like, Gaston. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, Gaston, you put on my dad's work pants. I need them for work. You know? He was all wearing dickies at this point in my life. Happened to be his uniform outfit. So I kick off my boots. I try to take off my pants. I don't know if you try taking off your pants while standing on top of the AC unit with a broken arm. It's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> Feel free to go and try to stay home. So I kick off the boots and drop the pants down to the bottom of the AC unit. I grab it with my left arm, throw it to the window, completely missed it, fall down to the yard. Claudia looks at me frustrated, goes back inside to buy me some time. So now I gotta climb down, hanging on the AC unit off my left arm. I drop down, hurt my ankle, ball up the pants, and I'm looking up at the window trying to figure out I'm gonna throw one to Claudia. And the cops come back again. Now the young cop, he's looking at me like this. He's like, Yo, what the fuck? Cause he co-signed me, right? Like he vouched for me, he told his mans I was cool. You know, so before he can say anything, I start running towards him. I'm like, yo, nothing's changed. And the older cop is like, you had pants on before. <laughs> Everything has changed. And I'm like, like I said before, trying to play checkers with this girl. Her dad just got home, accidentally put on his pants. That's on me. Once he gets the pants, everything's cool. You know, apparently you lose credibility when you're in boxes outside. So he starts walking towards the front of the building. And before he could turn, Claudia runs back to the window. She's like, come on, quick, throw him up. I look at him, he's like, I gotta see this. And he waves me in. So I run over to the window. Now, 
Full disclosure, I'm Dominican. I could throw all day. Hi, I'm for your softball teams. I got you. But that's where my right arm is. This is in the cash right now. Left-handed, throwing pants, 14 feet into the air. There's a win factor involved. I don't know all the math. I just know it's hard. Seven throws in, my arm is sore. Now the cops are talking shit, taking bets on the side. Saying <laughs> Young cop won lunch money on me. Claudia Carter on the ninth throw. <laughs> Claudia goes inside, cops look at me, they wave me over. And he's like, yo, we gonna wait this out. That's cool with you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of vested in this game of checkers, sir. <laughs> so I grab my boots. We stand there, we see her dad walk out the front of the building, drives off and they escort me to the front, they ring the bell, and Claudia answers and the older cop is like, you know this man? And she's like, you think I catch everybody's pants out the window? <laughs> so he tries to get slick mouth for me, he's like, you know, uh, in general, you know, if you want to play checkers, it's usually a good idea to be in the same place as the other person you're playing checkers with. So I appreciate the advice, sir. Then a younger partner, he tries to console me. He said, hey man, don't worry about it, I've been there before. I'm like, you've been here before? In this scenario, really? You have an interesting life, sir. They leave me alone, we play an excellent game of checkers. Legendary shit. Years later, you know, I'm a landlord now, I own a couple buildings with my dad, and uh, one of the tenants had a break-in. He gets there before me because I was coming from work. So when I come in, he's talking with a few of the cops, and there's a few other cops roaming the apartment. And as I'm coming up the stairs, I see a now much older, younger cop. And he said, hey man, you look good. I'm like, I know, I got pants on. <laughs> and I hear my dad ranting with the captain while they're walking over to me and the young cop. And my dad is like, man, I don't know what we're gonna do, man. I thought this neighborhood was getting better, man. I can't believe this type of thing still happened. You seen anything like this? Young cop jumps in, he's looking at me and he winks. And he's like, man, you wouldn't believe the things I seen. Thank you. And every single storytelling show, too numerous and too torturous to mention. Like, I'll go get tired if I list every place where you're at, because he's blowing up big time. All right, Gastar! Yeah, yeah, we're going to tell some stories. So, so Gastar? usually do stools, just so you know, next time. Well, you want to stand? Give me, like, it, a chair. Is it more comfortable for you to stand? For sure, for sure. Right, let's stand. I made the commitment already. I'm here now, uh, you know? All right. All right. What's well, the momentum th start? Thank you for accommodating. I know I, ha I have like tiny privilege. I don't know what the fuck you call that shit. Like, I don't know. Anyway, um, I don't know. Hey, okay. Gastor was, I think I'm better than Gastor was on uh, the first season of Fish Out of Bag with Michelle Carlo when I was actually serializing my, my book and reading a couple of chapters uh, every show. And um, Gastor, we were on almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. great, man. It was just like holiday season. And we called it the um, what was meant for our harm turned out to be good episode. Just like your story. Like, like shit could have like went down like mad fucked up, but like it ended up being good. Yeah, it was a lucky day. So, yes, it was. It yeah. was. Well, I think every day for you was a lucky day. So far, so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Like, Benny's young all the way. So what would you say, I, and I know that um, you come from a little bit of a different background than some of the other people, because you started out as a stand-up. 
Right. And um, still am, still am. Yeah, yeah, right. I yes, I was studying that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you, but you started out doing. You didn't like go from like theater or performance art to storytelling or being a writer. Like you went straight from stand up to being storytelling. And yeah. one thing that not all, but a number of stand ups do is they think, oh, storytelling, I can do that. And then they try it and they can't. Right, it's a different skill. Yes, well, that's what I would like you to expand upon a little bit. What do you think is uh, like a couple of the main differences between storytelling and stand-up? Besides that, stand-up usually pays, and storytelling you get a kind of more. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's huge. Me yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I pay yeah. my rent and my mortgage with yeah. stand-up. Yeah. Storytelling yeah. makes me emotionally whole, though. Like, you get the hug after shows. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful environment. What would you think was there would be more of the content different? Sure. Um, or the what, attitude different? What I figured out, well, I, I said this like about six months ago with you on the panel. I kind of figured it out there. Um, when I do stand-up, you kind of get to see how I think. Whereas where you, where I, when I do a story, you're going to see the moments that led to me thinking that way. Um, and I don't usually get to do that in stand-up unless I have like a long set. Like in New York, you know, you do, you know, three, four shows a night. They're like 10, 15 minute spots. Whereas when you go out of town or your headline, you might get a half hour, 45, an hour. And only those times can you do like a 10 minute story. Whereas in storytelling, the, sh the audience is kind of bought in from the beginning for that. Um, in stand-up, you kind of have to earn the right to tell a story. Like, yo, I just paid $30 for me and my girl. There's a three-drink minimum, and, and I got to buy an entree. You better be funny from now. Oh, snap, You know, entree. so, like, you don't have that option of just, like, telling a 10-minute story right up jump. But if you do, you know, 15 killer minutes of bits, they'll, they'll kind of, like, run with you, and they'll give you the freedom to do a longer story after that. Um, but, yeah, I only get those moments in New York when I get a longer set. Mm. So I guess that's so when you do a regular storytelling show, it's like, yeah, I could just get to the... Right, I kind of get to practice those things that uh, are important to me, too. It's a different skill set, and it, it yes. kind of tells you more of who I am as a person. Um, and being frank, it's just, it preps me more for things that I want to do. Um, like, big picture, I like to do hours and things like that, and specials, and the, the big moments in all of my favorite hours were always the stories that ended the hour. Yeah, no doubt. Like when you look at the comedy specials, you know, from years past, um, uh, Eddie Murphy Water. and uh, George Carlin, they were just like extended stories. Exactly. With, with, with just like jokes every like minute. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and you're headed towards that way. No doubt, no doubt, no not doubt, Gastor. So, um, in closing, I'm going to ask you the same question I'm asking everybody, but you're going to have a different perspective on it because okay. you're the only one of the five storytellers here tonight that's a parent. Right, right, it's true. So I didn't know that, by the way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's still time for some people. You know, you know, there's still time. But at this moment, you're the only parent that's on the stage. So, as 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 a parent and a working artist, what do you tell the child that wants to pursue that life path, knowing all the pitfalls that can happen to you, but the child wants to do it? What do you What do you tell that child? So uh, it's a loaded question, being frank. Like, uh, I do think there there's a certain level of uh, responsibility you do need to take with those things. I'm taking a huge gamble now. I quit my job to do only this. Oh my God! Clap. He quit his job. He's doing it. See, I don't see. I don't. Feel, I, I think it's just crazy. By the way, death don't clap. This is insanity. What I'm doing. Every day I wake up, have a mini panic attack. This is freaking crazy. Um, I, I'm hoping that it becomes worthwhile of a clap years from now. But I'm definitely taking a risk. I fully acknowledge it. Um, with that said, I did a ton of work for 10 years before I even started stand-up 
to buy two houses with seven tenants so that I could take a risk like this. Mm. Um, and you know, so that's what I, I don't, I, I think it's, you know, it's nice to say, you know, go and you know, live your dream, but be, be smart in how you approach it so that when you take those gambles, it's not the first hurdle that comes in your way doesn't eliminate it. Like the reason I'm able to, to like, I, I'm gonna take a three, four year gamble on just this and I'm able to because I got tenants that'll pay my rent. Whereas if you do this gun hole with no plan, the first thing that goes wrong, you gotta go back to work now. Um, so I don't think enough artists, unfortunately, just because of how we're wired, we don't think that way. Um, being frank, I didn't either. My father kind of beat it into me. Um, and now I'm lucky to have that. Uh, and it's something that's a challenge. Hopefully we get like balanced partners that kind of make us aware of those things. Uh, but yes, you should pursue it because that's, that's how your head works. You're, you're not gonna function in a nine to five environment ideally. Um, so if you're meant to do art, do art. Just be smart in how you approach it so that you don't get categorized as a failure just because there's real shit that happens in the world that requires you to pay shit on the first every month. I know because I'm collecting. Like, I don't care if my tenants are artists, I still want my shit on the first. <laughs> you know? An honest answer from a wise man. Thank you. Thank you, Gaston Monte. Thank you. Thank you. Shiesty. Come out of spicy to your ass, that is pricely, costing. You get big like 
like Mr. Boston. Beans in a box, you need more strength than just locks. I rock hardcore, even when I dress suited. On some business shit, my street is deep rooted. What is the shit? Rappers want to blossom, but they all a costume. Thinking we buffoon, I tell you soon you'll end the hard way. Stems and blunts, going Broadway to the theater. Hot rocks is getting weirder, like Vera from Alice. The East is in your palace on some proper shit, and it will never be the opposite. When the East is in the house, oh my God. Respiratory to bless my story. You got nothing for me. It's been plotted behind doors. They scheming up for my arrival. Rappers are teaming up. Doing symphonies. It's gonna be limping MCs when I plan my rap. You be left handicapped. Sweat gather because I bring you no jalopy. Building on heads that be older than your poppy. Pack a NYPF back. Spin to the essence. You get startled by the message when the east is in the in the house oh my god danger and not will robinson kind that was a song that gastor handpicked for um this episode and it's blase blase danger when the east is in the house from their blah 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 album in 1996 you know this group like gastor is from east new york the video was filmed in east new york and it's an unofficial kind of unquestioned theme song for that hood Wow, I love hearing new music. Well, new to me, anyway. <laughs> and meeting new humans. And that's why I love doing this show. We've heard a few people talk about what it's like for them to be an artist over the past two episodes. And, yeah, being an artist is different than what my fetish friends would call vanillas, my witchy friends would call muggles, or what, for argument's sake, I'll call civilians and sometimes... Sometimes some of our friends, family, or co-workers just don't get why we do why we do. Well, I have a little story I'm going to read for you because we have a little bit of time left. And I originally wrote this for a newsletter called Toxic Pop, which some of you may remember, a sprinkle of years ago. And it's called Because. A couple of Christmases ago, a family member asked me why did I choose to be an artist when I could have been, in their mind, so many other far more worthy things. A doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, and on and on and on. And then they asked me, well, you've been doing this for forever now. Why aren't you famous yet? When are you going to be on TV or Broadway or in a movie with people whose names I recognize? Why wasn't your book in my Book of the Month Club? Ah, and my personal favorite, Michelle... Aren't you 
way too old for this? When are you going to get a real job, a real life, be normal? Why indeed? Yeah, why would anyone normal subject themselves to insecurity, working two or more jobs 24-7, 365, creating things maybe only a handful or a room full of people may ever get to read or see, things we may not live to enjoy recognition for? Why would we subject ourselves to constant examining and re-examining of our means, methods, and motives? Or perhaps reconcile ourselves with not ever maybe owning a primary house, never mind a summer residence? How about a car? And hey, how about that health insurance in 2018, huh? And why would we continue to do this? Why would we continue to create throughout resistance, procrastination, unemployment, breakups, disappointments, accidents, illnesses, deaths, of living week to week and hand to mouth for yet another year? Why do we refuse to feed the wolf that tells us all the time we are an imposter, a fraud, that you'll never be good enough, so why don't you just give up now? Why do you continue to make art when sometimes you feel a fear so real, so solid, so tangible, it literally threatens to make you faint, puke your guts up, shit your brains out, yet you take the mic in that basement, performance space. You get up on that backroom stage. You sit at that computer, piano, or sewing machine, and you pick up that pen, charcoal, guitar, paintbrush, chisel, camera, recorder, drumstick, saxophone, cello, microphone, dance shoes, headdress, pasties, and you open up that Microsoft Word, Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, Tinkercad, iMovie, Dreamweaver, GarageBand, Hindenburg, Final Cut, Dragon Frame, and you just do it anyway. Why? Why indeed? And who? Who would subject themselves to a lifetime of this? They'd have to be what most so-called normal people would consider fucking insane. Yes. And no. Because it's not a choice. Because you know that something inside you will die if you cannot do not do your work, your art. Because you love it. Yes, love it as much or even more than being loved. So to every A.B. Abby Normal artist listening who refuses to sublimate the dream, who keeps on keeping on, who feels the fear but does it all anyway, we at Radio Free Brooklyn give thanks for you and for all of you who support us. And just how can one support us, you may ask? Easy. Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and click on the Donate tab and do what it says. You can sponsor any show, including Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo, for as little as $1 per episode. That's the cost of that lotto ticket. You know you ain't going to win anyway. Well, kids, that's our show for this week. And we're going to leave you with this song chosen by me to, yeah, because everybody else gets to pick their favorite song. So why can't I? This one is kind of making me think about like the coming year, like 2018 and like what it could bring, you know, the grabbing hands, grab what they can all for themselves after all, or, you know, maybe it's time to put it all down and start again from the top to the bottom and then, and then I'll have faith or I'll prefer to think that things couldn't turn out worse. As spoken, as sung by Depeche Mode, and the song is called, And Then from Construction Time Again album, 
1983, four, five, 83. Okay, kids, stay tuned to Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week with some more guest artists as we continue on this journey that is the year 
Everything counts in large amounts.